Deborah, it is a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. Everyone's very excited about this. I've wanted you on for years. I honestly, you're years? one of yeah, you're so good at what you do, and you've just topped it again with Jedi Survivor, which we're going to get into even more. But how have you been, firstly, Deborah? Thanks for coming on. Honestly, blessed, well, happy, healthy, and grateful, 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 grateful. Blessed and well and happy and healthy and grateful. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. How did you grateful. how did you celebrate your birthday the other week? I don't celebrate the birthdays. I don't celebrate holidays. I celebrate the everydays. And because every day is a joy, every day is a blessing, every day is a gift, every day is an opportunity. And I'm doing that every day. I'm not gonna stop for one day of the year simply because I was born on that day. And so I don't celebrate the holidays, I celebrate the everydays. Why? Because the real gift is being present. That's the real gift, being present. Being in the present every day, that's the real gift. So I don't stop and go, oh, well, I was born this day. Let's celebrate. No, I know I was born this day. Big deal. <laughs> I know I was born that day. I know I'm 61. I already know this. However, I love it when people are wishing me a happy birthday. I love it when people are sending me emails and texts and e-cards and things like that. I love it. Because I know that I can translate that into, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And you know what? They'd be doing the same thing if it wasn't that day. They'd be doing the same thing for another reason if it wasn't that day. Because it's all love. If we had gone out together another day, it's because it's all love. Yes, exactly. It's all love. And that day, it's still all love no matter what. But I don't do the things in which I go, okay, I'm going to set up a party and I'm going to go out with friends and we're going to go drinking and we're going to go dancing and we're going to go this. I don't do those type of celebrations anymore. By 60, last year, I kind of stopped it because I realized that it didn't matter to me. And it wasn't because I stopped it specifically because, you know, hey, I'm 60 now, so I'm going to set a new precedent in my life. That wasn't it at all. I just realized at 60, what came to mind was, you know what, I'm... I don't feel any different and I don't feel like I need to do anything differently in my life. How how's your you life know? changed over the last few years as you've progressed into this gaming world and the and the voice acting, motion capture, performance capture, all that sort of stuff? How's your life changed in a good way, in a different way? Talk to us about Mind it. Mind blowing. Mm. Mind blowing. Um I I don't know if you can hear those dings. I don't know if I if no, I, no. I'm, I'm, I'm all good. You don't hear no. any dings. Good. Mind blowing. <laughs> If I have to have a, a phrase for it, absolutely mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing not just with the work that's coming in. It's mind-blowing with the philosophical and spiritual changes in the work in which I'm putting myself into watching that dividend grow more and more and more exponentially. So for me, when that work started really coming in, I recognized why it was coming in and what I'm bringing to the table and in that recognition, it only helped me grow as a person more and more and more and more exponentially. And when people got a chance and get a chance to see who that person is, they trust me with their stories and their narratives. And so I realized that the thing that I am transmuting as this work is coming in exponentially is that I'm no longer a voiceover person. What I really am is a storyteller. And this is a service industry in which I want to tell your story. I want to tell your narrative because that story came way before I did. And it will be there long after my voice is done with it. And therefore, whatever you were thinking, whatever you were feeling, whatever your mind had to create, which was on paper, you're giving me the opportunity to come in and serve what you've been doing long before I came in to say, can you fit my narrative? Can you fit what I've been feeling and thinking in my head and my mind as I'm putting this together and I'm seeing it come to fruition? And so my voice only serves that purpose for that thing. So my voice is always last. The story and the narrative always come first because at the end of the day, you don't want to just hear me. You want to feel it. You want to feel your narrative. You want to feel that I fit into the larger scope. And therefore, it doesn't matter how great my voice seems doesn't fit into the larger thing. And that requires and requests that you show up not only with your energy, but to serve. And it requests that you show up with your humility. 
because it's about being in a service industry going, you want extra coffee? You want me to top that off for you? Do you need extra napkins? Do you want to see the dessert menu? Do you need the salt and pepper on your table? Would you like me to tell you about the specials? Because it gives you the opportunity to go, wow, I can, I can serve my purpose in this and I have the empowerment to tell that story the way you want it and the way you hear it. That's another thing because you can come in with a great voice and you go like, I've created this character and I have a great voice print, that's great. But if it doesn't go to the story, what difference does it make? It doesn't match up with the equation of the story, of the narrative. So I had to transmute and chose to transmute the idea of being a voiceover actor into being a storyteller. So because it allows me to grow even more without me having the egotistical idea that I know what I'm doing the way I want to do it with my voice. It's not about that. It's about you tell me what you want because your story, you feel it, you know it, you've lived with it for years. You have hopes and dreams of where it's going to go. Will it make it? Will a company produce it? What is the graphics gonna look like? What are the changes gonna be? What studio is gonna help with this? Who are the people that you're bringing on who believe in this project? All of those things and all of that emotion. And so I have to come in with that space in mind delicately and still powerfully to go, I wanna tell your story. You're bringing me in to tell this story? Because a lot of actors will say, I become the character. I, be, I'm, I'm, I, I just become this character. I never become a character. I never become the character. That three-dimensional page becomes and lives through me. That's the most important thing. It has to live through me. Why? Because every experience that I've ever been through in my life, Everything that has hurt me and crushed me and destroyed me and built me back up and broke me down again. Everything that has been joyful and amazing, every triumph, every success, every beauty, every sorrow, every sadness, every suffering. When you have those emotions written on the pages, you can't fake that. You have to be able to go, I'm going to cut myself open and tell your emotion with my emotion. Because at the end of the day, it's never about your voice. Again, the voice always comes last. It's about how your audience identifies and say, I see a piece of me in that. That's why video games are so riveting with their narratives. That's why voiceover is so amazing because people get a chance to see something about themselves. The superhero, the villain, the lost one, the metahuman. All of those stories, if you think about it, the reason they are so larger than life is because when people are dealing with the realities of being ex in, excluded, not appreciated, not validated, politics, bipolar religious beliefs, moral ideas, LGBTQ, Black Lives Matter, all of these things that are happening in the world, all of these things that continue to happen in the world, people want to feel as if there is something greater than themselves within them, bursting to come out to be in control, bursting to come out and, and have power. That's what video games do. That's what animation does. That's what film and television does. And so I want to tell the story of not myself. I'm going to use my emotions to tell the story of you. Wow, what an answer. This interview is already off to a flying star. I knew you were one of the best at this. So I I just want to say that with Jedi, I've beaten Jedi Survivor and obviously I've beaten Fallen Order. And I think this might be one of your best pieces of work um, because there's just an authenticity about this character that you don't always see in any medium. And I'm wondering, you know, how you tapped into that and how this story resonated with you. I'm, Sir Junda is, is living within me. That same belief in God that I have is the force. It is the force. And so being able to find that balance between telling her story and using my emotions and the things that I've gone through in my rage and my anger in clack recently and, and having pushing the force away because all this rage and anger has injured someone or hurt someone or done just something destructive. And just recently, just recently that happened to me. On Sunday, this past Sunday, that happened to me. And so being able to take those experiences and transmute those experiences and make them powerful to use later on for the most authentic storytelling is necessary. And so Seer is the most, is the most 
intimate character that has ever been inside of me because it is as close to me as it is me itself, myself. Of all the characters, of all the beings, of all the beings, because once you bring them to life with your own emotions and are willing to cut yourself open and tell these stories, they breathe life. You give them the opportunity to breathe life. You give them the opportunity to breathe life. It's like someone who's got something in their throat and can't get it out, but someone knows how to do an emergency cut and they, they cut the throat open right there to create this stoma, this opening for the air to come in. That's what it feels like. It's like there's something in me that, that when you get choked up with emotion that you have to cut yourself open to let that being in that you can breathe again because it's cathartic when someone like a seer says, Deborah, I'm going to help you tell my story and I'm going to help you find revelations in the things that you've ever been through in your life as you reveal them. So how, so how special is this series to you now? How special is this series to you now after the, the last few games? Same. Yeah. Same. It's equally as powerful. It was powerful then and it's powerful now. So I don't think it has a level of power. Mm. I think it has a level of awareness in the power. I think it has a level of consciousness in the power uh, and uh, the, accept the, the acceptance on the, at the same time. Because I think the, the level of seer right now is a, a true power in her acceptance. You know, before there were things that she did not accept, uh, that she ran from, um, that no matter what, she had a vicarious way of experiencing something through Cal. Her healing could not come without Cal. Because whatever Cal was going through and the wisdom she gave Cal as a Jedi, that was the same wisdom she actually needed for herself. And so Cal was the catalyst for her own healing. And her own healing would never have come had, had she not been with Cal. But that's how the universe works. That's how the force works. She needed Cal for something in the three-dimensional world to save these force-sensitive children. She needed something in order to battle the empire on a certain level. But she also didn't recognize at the time, no matter what a great Jedi she was, that it was also a part of her healing and her growth to get to the next level so that she can not only be powerful, but unafraid and willing to die. And I love in this one that we get to take control of Seer for a small amount in an incredible sequence, which I don't know if you've seen, but I have. I had chills the entire time. It was one of the best moments that I've had in gaming in a, in, a, in a long time. And tell us about your involvement in, in that with Darth Vader, because I know you went up against him in the first game, but this is a bit different and there's some history there. And, man, that is – you can now say that you've – a character of yours has fought Darth Vader. I mean, it's just crazy when you think about it. It's one of the biggest characters of, of all time. Yeah, very prolific in, this, in, the, in, the, in the Star Wars universe and in any universe as far as – uh, uh, supervillains are concerned. Mm. Um, when I found out uh, at the table read, I didn't know until we were actually reading, we had a, a table read for it last year that uh, Seer dies at the hands of Darth Vader. And it made me happy. It wow. made me happy because I honestly felt that Seer and I had nowhere else to go because the epitome of your growth. It's almost like when a show is on and you love it and it's being doing well, but everybody knows when it's time so that it doesn't try to jump the shark, so to speak. It doesn't try to do whatever it can to engage an audience in a false way in order to keep an audience there, in order to keep the show going. It knows when it's time to let go. And I think that is the making of a great show. On HBO, there is a show that I'm watching now called Succession. Yeah. With, an, with a stellar cast. And so they're only doing these three seasons and they know when to let go as opposed to trying to perpetuate the, the you know, the storyline. What other storylines can you give us? These, these characters are so sincere that you kind of know where they are meant to end, you know, so that they can go off into their, in their, into the mindset of their own lives as we let them go mm. from watching it. 
And I think this is the same thing with uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. When I found out that I was going to die at the hands of Vader, I thought it was a beautiful death and a way to uh, uh, leave an essence with Cal so that he can continue to grow and that the sacrifice was necessary and mandatory for Cal to have his own life without me. Mm. Without not, me. Not many people can say that, you know, he he wobbled away, Darth Vader. You you took it to him. I, I'm pretty sure. I gave, it to, I gave it to him good. <laughs> and we gave it to each other. Yeah. We gave it to each other. And I think it's no stretch of the imagination that in the the coordination of of the fight uh, and the choreography of the fight that we both uh, injure each other, you know, mm. at the same time, the same way, spontaneously, to, you know. And I think what's so beautiful about that is I die with an awareness, uh, a force sense of awareness of what Cal will have to do and need to do and will do. And um, the same way that Walt Disney died, his last words were a name and it was Kurt Russell. No one knows why to this day that his last words when Walter Disney, when Walt Disney died was the name Kurt Russell. And so I, in that force sense and right before that release, I utter the name Trilla. So the journey will continue somewhere um, without me because even saying that was the bridge. And so I knew I needed to die. I knew for the story to continue, I couldn't continue with it. Uh, I knew that Sear could not continue with it. I think I've lived exactly what I was meant to do. It's like running a relay and passing the baton. It was time. And what was it like on the set doing the the performance capture for that scene and for some of the other scenes. How did you find that experience? I don't know how much you've, I know you've- Emotional. Yeah. Emotional because um, for the fight sequence, uh, we didn't need Cameron Monaghan. It was just the, it was just the the team that does all the coordination for that and um, the choreography for that. The stunt and guys, that was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so even still, it was emotional for me because I knew what it meant. Mm. And it was still equally as powerful for me because I knew what it meant. Uh, and so Darren Ross, who is a stunt coordinator, who's been doing this from the very beginning and who happens to be an amazing and lovely man as well as brilliant at what he does and a spiritual gift uh, to myself, uh, and a dear friend. It was not choreographed without that thought process in mind, the spiritual thought process, the, the beauty of it, the beauty of death, um, the power in the give and take. I mean, the, it was it was written as if it were, so to speak, and choreographed as if it were an orchestration. It was orchestrated. It was like an orchestra. Every song, every tune, every, every the violin, the bassoon, the oboes, you know, everything was there. The cellos, uh, the timpani, the, you know, the timpani. It was just, he conducted it brilliantly. It was, honestly, it was Beethoven. And so I think that helped even more with the emotional space that I had to hold for it as opposed to let me pay attention to the choreography and let me get in it, you know? So it wasn't a shoot day in terms of Tom Keegan who directs all of the cinematics. Mm. It was just me and the stunt people, but it was no less emotional and no less powerful because of Darren Ross and what he choreographed. It was music. It was like listening to a song that makes you sad and melancholy and you, you are in that moment, in that space of going, yeah, this is going to bring on a good cry for me. Two questions. And in the very, I'm sorry. Sorry, no, I was going to keep going. I was going to give you a backup. And in the final shooting in which I was to actually expire, that's when Tom Keegan 
took over the cinematics and those became cinematics. And the only people that were there in the volume working on that was me, Cameron Monaghan, and, uh, and Tom Keegan, the cinematic director. So that made it even um, that much more emotional. It was really, oof, it, I'm, I, you, it's, I feel it right now. It's coming up right now for me. Wow, that's that's very special. And is, it was the emotional part. Exactly was that when he's was. holding Cal's holding Sia? Is that where is that where the tears came? Yeah. And I'll never forget that as I was dying, and then I died. I could feel um, his tears drip on my face. I could wow. feel them hit me, just like like water droplets hit me and run, hit me and run. Yeah, it was really powerful. And we did it, uh, uh, um, I guess there were two or three of those takes. And every time, every time it was a new emotional space as if the first one before that didn't exist. It was powerful. And then when we were done, um, that was my final scenes with him. And so when... It was a cut and it's like, okay, that's it. We, I, you know, we were both, Tamara and I were both kind of speechless and um, we just hugged and uh, the waterworks came and we talked about working together as we did, because now we're talking about from Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order to Star Wars Jedi Survivor to the next journey where we're doing this in what we do in our lives as Cameron Monaghan and Deborah Wilson, or I call him, as I like to call him, Cameron Mon the Man. <laughs> the man. Nice. Cameron Mon the Man. We should give him some props. He's he's really great in this. Huge in both props. Games. Yeah. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. And on the set, he, a consummate professional and knows video games as well, inside and out. I learned from him. I did. I I learned more from him than than he learned from me. I learned wow. way more from him in what he was doing. I watched everything that he did mm. and, thing. and I listened to every comment and every note and everything that he was giving to uh, the writers and to the, the, you know, the game devs um, and to the story narrators, you know, uh, the, the Sony people, respawn people. Oh, the so narrative he was giving, people. giving detailed notes on scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. About like, you know, what about this? What about this? Because, and it all made sense. So I really learned a lot from him. You know, because his his investment in in um, Cal Kestis and his investment in the Star Wars franchise and in his investment in um, his portrayal runs extremely deep. His investment in how it's going to look as a game runs extremely deep. His commitment is unquestionable. His commitment to his craft is unquestionable. Unquestionable. I learned way more from him that he did for me. And was the chemistry always there between you two from the from the first scene you did together? Because that's what it felt Even like. Even when we just met. A, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were always, it, it, it's interesting because when you keep your energy open to people and, you, and people are willing to let you know who they are by their energy and how they work and their stuff, he's just a very down to earth but and very committed guy to what he does. And I, you know, I would be remiss if I never told him that each time that I watched something and that I was um, impressed. I let him know that. Uh, yeah, it was a very personal journey for the both of us. We were close whenever we saw each other, whenever we weren't working together. And then I would be there for, uh, you know, coming back. It was always a smile and a hug. It was always a hug. It was always a hold. It was always that a deep, a deep affection, a deep affection. I have a deep affection for him and he feels like a son to me. So I have a very deep affection for him. And he's, yeah, a very deep affection for Cameron. What were the, what were the biggest differences between working on the first game to the second? I'm curious from a performance perspective or any sort of perspective, really. I'm just curious. There wasn't. There wasn't. It was a seamless. No. Felt like yeah, from mm. all of those years, and there was that there was that big break, 
that big break, but coming back into it, I think what really helped is having this huge table read, even though some people were in Europe working on other projects. A lot of the, a lot of the cast that was there um, who had various scenes and various roles, uh, um, uh, I think everyone was there and made the time to be there, even if it was they were in Europe uh, and it was three o'clock in the morning. And mm. um, so everyone made that opportunity to be there so that we can all read everything. And we all took turns reading the direction. And um, I think that's where we knew that it was gonna be cohesive. Seeing each other again, having a chance to chat a bit and then telling the story. So listening to each other and being present in the storytelling helped to make it cohesive so that by the time you put it on its feet, we already had that experience that was a bridge to everything else. And it was back in the groove. It was, we were all back in the groove and grateful to be with each other. And we knew, you know, all of the changes that were going to happen and you can't prepare for that, but you also have the silliness in the volume. Mm. You know, there, it wasn't without us being silly and having fun. Oh, it was, it was never serious work. It wasn't Shakespearean. You know, even though the theme is Shakespearean, it wasn't Shakespearean. It was a lot of joy and a lot of fun and a lot of silliness, especially at lunch breaks, because we all break for together. And it was, it was all of that love. It was, yeah. Do you remember a, a time powerful. cracking up, laughing on the set? During, during actually shooting? Oh, yeah, or, or on your break, yeah. Oh, always. The, yeah. The, on breaks and stuff, always. Mm. Laughing and being silly, always. In between shooting stuff, always. In between takes, always. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And, and I think that was allowing for the perfect balance. Yeah. You know, the perfect balance in what we do and, and the commitment we have to the joy we're bringing to it as well, knowing that there are serious themes and serious moments. And then bringing new people in that were not there the first time that we've uh, for the you know for voiceover worked with before like uh, Noshir Dalal who is Bodakuna. Oh man, is he was so mind blowingly brilliant. He was so mind blowingly brilliant. But I've also worked with man. him on video games, you know, voice wise, and just I love Noshir on Did you every get level. Get to see him work as Bode because he was yeah. This was a difference performance for him. This was a spectacular. Triumph yeah. of a character for him. Yeah, like, and, and at one point when he comes to the library, that's when I meet him. So yes, I've got. I, of I've course, yeah, him. of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you do share a few scenes, yeah, yeah, in a group setting, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I know his voiceover work, and we've we've uh, passed each other in work, and we worked on the same projects, and we spent time together on those on that level. Yeah, he's another dig guy. I do uh, another dude. I dig. He's another yeah. guy I really admire and truly like Cameron respect. Mm. I'm wondering if, because I know you're not a you're not a gamer, are you? You're not you're not sitting back today playing <laughs> playing games, but no. I'm but I love watching the cinematics, and what they'll do is, yeah. if, there are so many people who will put the cinematics together as a film, and this film is about three hours, three and a half <laughs> hours long, and I intend to find the time on one weekend to sit for three hours. I just got finished watching a three hour movie in a theater with my ex-husband. So I can watch this <laughs> and see everybody's work, everybody, the hard work that people put into it. And the hard work that Tom Keegan did as well as a cinematic director who I respect and love. He is my heart, he is my joy, he is my friend, he is my mentor, um, and he is my director. Do you enjoy watching your, your stuff back? I enjoy watching the whole thing. Mm. As a I enjoy story, watching the whole yeah, thing. Because not just again, your, yeah. it's a piece of a story, not just yet. Because then my stuff doesn't make sense because I knew I did that already. Mm. If anything, uh, I wouldn't enjoy it if it was insincere. I'd be like, oh, that's you just bullshit. You did what? What? And I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to being insincere in my work. I go to the deepest places I'm supposed to go to. And Tom Keegan is the kind of director who knows how to get you there and then bring you out safely. He is the leader in the Alice in Wonderland. When you go down that rabbit hole, he will safely guide you through it so that you can, you know, use your emotional space in a safe space and then bring you back out. I trust him with every emotional fiber of my being when I work. Have you worked with him before? Because I've heard his name from lots countless interviews. Yeah. He's yeah, lots of times. Uh, the first thing I worked with him on as a director, a cinematic director was... Um, the Mirror's Edge, Mirror's Edge Catalyst. Catalyst. Oh, yes. 
The other thing I worked with him so on. So he does EA games. Other, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. The other thing was Wolfenstein, the new Colossus. Oh, okay. Yep. As Grace Walker and Wolfenstein Youngblood recurring as uh, bring you know, as reprising my role as Grace Walker. Oh, so yeah, a few times. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. I'll give you one more. And in voiceover world, in voiceover, just in voiceover, he also directed me uh, where it wasn't cinematics, was in um, a DLC for... Um, what is the zombie one that was based on a television show? Not Walking Dead? Walking Dead. Walking Dead, yeah. Yes, where it takes place in Louisiana, New Orleans. Oh, you were in that one as well. I mean, you're in everything, Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what aren't you in? That would be probably a quicker answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> so one more on Sia. What do you want people to to take from this character when it's all said and done, they've beaten the game, both stories. It, what do you want them to take away from it? it? It's an interesting question because I can't answer that question because I don't want I don't want for them to do anything but to have an experience and let them choose how that experience moves them or not. You know, I, I don't have an idea of what I want from you because then that's ego. And so mm -hmm. my ego is completely out of it. My job and my responsibility towards myself personally, as well as professionally, is to give organic, honest performance um, from the deepest and most powerful places within me to tell this story that came way before me and will continue after me. Uh, to bring every fiber of my being, uh, the truth out of it and let people have their own experiences without wanting anything from them. It's like serving people with food. You may not want to eat it, and I can't turn around and go, well, you know, I spent all this time cooking it, and I prepared it, and I did this, and I slaved over a hot stove. Then it's about my ego that it's not about feeding you. So I have to ask myself, well, is it about you making food for people and having people thank you for it? Or is it about feeding people? And because I am about feeding people, it doesn't matter whether you eat or not. I just want to feed you. So if you weren't an actor, I feel like you'd be a chef, right? Or a cook? No. <laughs> no. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. What would you be if doing? I weren't, if I weren't doing this animal rescue, oh, I'd be living on yeah. a ranch doing animal rescue. Yeah. I'd be cleaning up stalls. I'd be shoveling shit, horse mm. shit, cow shit. I'd be working on an animal rescue somewhere. Or I would be and or... I would be a death doula. Wow, I would be a doula. Really? Oh yeah. You you would without a doubt. You could handle that emotionally and and you feel like you'd yes. be Yeah, wow. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, is that, and that's like that's a deathbed companion sort of thing, isn't it? Well, not only that, but what a death doula does is not just be a deathbed companion, um because it's not about death, it's about the dignity of death in order to create a newfound higher aspect of the celebration of life. See, most people only see death. You're gone, you're gone, you're gone. I'm right, but that's what you get if you believe in nothing greater than yourself, if you don't believe the body is a soul, mm. if you don't believe that there is something that's been left within each and every one of you based on the experiences. And so it's the dignity of, of leaving this experience that is the limitation of lack, limitation, and density. That's what the world is. There's lack in this world, there's limitation, and there's density. And so we make all these choices. But to truly, truly, truly live is to release and let go. Because you can't live without that. Otherwise, you're just playing a chess game, hoping to outdo somebody else financially. Because you're only interested in your own safety guards throughout the world, throughout, throughout the time that you're in the world, rather. And so there's more to the world than that, which is why if you asked a parent whose child is suffering with cancer, if they would give all their money for it, if they would trade their own lives for it, because they're always going to reach into something much greater than themselves in order to see the well-being of somebody else. And so the well-being of somebody else doesn't mean to stay on the planet. In dying, the well-being is that when you leave this planet, everything is taken care of and you can leave in a peace and a joy, a tranquility, a surrender. And I can support those who are here behind 
left with the idea of the loss instead of helping to support the space of what they gained. Because again, I always believe philosophically it is a relay and that every time someone finishes the race, they're not just done. Every stride that they took, every muscle that was pumped, every amount of sweat that was poured out of their body, they did it for you to pass the baton. I'm curious, you know, <clears throat> we've all made mistakes over <clears throat> in our lives. I'm wondering, was there a, a pivotal mistake that you made in, in, in your life that you learned from or that, um, you know, a part in your life where you went in a new direction or you had to forgive yourself or something like that? And how did you get through that struggling period if there was one? First thing is, I don't believe in mistakes. I think it's bullshit. I think it's a human way of describing something because there is no higher concept of what it means universally on the larger scale. Because when you're looking at something myopically in the three-dimensional world, you're listening to words and the equation of what that word means, and it's bullshit because it's an illusion. There is no such thing as a mistake. It's you making a choice, and then there is the repercussions of that choice and the equation of that choice, essentially. So have I had experiences in which the choice that I made, um, there was suffering, there was sadness, there was sorrow? Absolutely. Which is why Sear and I are this really powerful uh, energy together from what's on the page and then using that opportunity in me to tell the story through emotions of the things that I did that I hurt people, some with malice aforethought. Um, and the transmutation that needed to happen so that I wouldn't be running from myself and continually feeling bankrupt on some level so that I can continue to reconcile that in order to move beyond that and at the same time keep it with me in my luggage where it can no longer damage me or hurt me, but I can open up that luggage and share with someone else who's been through the same thing so that I can support them to continue their journey as well. So that thing was a beneficiary to my experiences. It was a beneficiary to my experiences. And it then became and transmuted into the investment. And the only way it's an investment is if I understand and overstand my wisdom to go with that investment so that I can use it to share with somebody else without having back to go back to that dark space. Because I don't need to talk to somebody about something I've been through and then break down crying and have this cathartic moment again because I never healed. And so watching somebody else healed is a mere reflection of my own healing. And it empowers me to know that my feelings are put aside so I can tell you this event that happened so that you go, I'm not alone. And I felt the same way. And I felt destroyed. And thank you for sharing that so I recognize that I wasn't destroyed that I wasn't destroyed. You let me know and you're living proof right here through your testimony that I wasn't destroyed. And so, yes, we're all designed for it. What I might consider for me a crucifixion because there's no point of a crucifixion without a resurrection. So every crucifixion has a resurrection. It all depends upon what you choose. And every crucifixion that I've ever been with for my life to get to this point has its value. To do what I do, as a human being, let alone an actress, let alone a voice actress. And it will always have a value even when I'm not doing those things. It will have a value as a death doula. It will have a value in rescue. It will have a value in being kind. It will have a value in being compassionate. It will have a value in sharing. It will have a value in volunteering. And I don't need to be an actress or a voiceover person to do that or be that. Beautifully put. I, I could literally talk to you all day, but I do have to get to some of these questions because you've got to run. I know that. Um, we're, we're just not going to be able to get to every project you've been a part of. So I'm just going to go through a couple of them and you can just share a story or something you remember from it if, if that's okay with you, Deborah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, I need to talk about God of War Ragnarok because your powerful performance in that struck me as well. There was a small Ooh. section of that game, but man, was it impactful. Talk to us about that experience, please. I got hired on it. I did not have to audition for the role. 
uh, Sony and the game develop game devs was like, oh, Deborah Wilson can do this. Mm. It was a one day shoot. Wow. For Grylo. And so I knew I needed to come prepared after reading the, reading the script. I went, there's, this is so emotionally charged. I need to go to those dark places. I need to go to those spaces of love and fear and support and protection. I didn't want to make it one note as in just a screaming, angry grandmother, because then you, you lose what it means. You lose the emotional thing. And I think when that vibration is strong, that you are telling many stories of your pain and your heartbreak, other people will feel that as opposed to just hearing you scream. And that's why I say at the end of the day, you don't want to hear me, you want to feel me. And so, um, and feel the story. And so when I met the young lady who was playing Angra Boda, I did not look at her. I did not talk to her uh, uh, when we were shooting because the day I came in, there was no rehearsal. It was just shoot. It wasn't like, Deborah, you're going to come in. We're going to rehearse. We're going to work this out. And then the next day, we're going to come in and shoot. It wasn't any of that. It wasn't like, hey, let's make our introductions first. Let's all, you know, talk about this. Let's go over stuff. It wasn't any of that. It was, we hired you. We know you can do this because they had hired me for God of War before, and I played Pesta, a German witch, um, and it was all VO. Uh, and they said, she can handle this. No, this, Yeah, we think Deborah's gonna be great for this. And so I came in really emotionally charged and really emotionally prepared, going over the things in my own life and, 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 and experiencing them again in my mind and my heart, my anger, my frustration, my sorrow, my sadness, my suffer. I went to every place of those things uh, and every reality that I had um, and, and an experience that I had in the past. And so when I met this young lady, I never looked at her. I never talked to her. I always stayed on the opposite side of the stage. And we were about to shoot. What I would do is I would walk over to her. I would tell everybody, stop, put my hand up. And I'd walk over to her and I would just look at her. I'd look her up and down and I would look at her and I would look in her eyes. And at first she was intimidated and she didn't know what was going on because she had been around the set for a long time. And this is the first time, you know, in shooting one of these scenes that this person, this fucking woman comes up and, and is in that space. But by the second time, you know, we were shooting the scene for another take, she got it. Um, and every time I looked at her again, we would have this knowingness about her being my granddaughter and me being hers. And there were times that she would look at me and I would break down crying. Um, there were times that she Damn. would look at me and I would be frustrated and want to kill her. Uh, there were times that I would look at her and I want to hold her, but I hold myself back. And so every time we shot, she gave me something and I gave her something and we never spoke to each other. We never spoke to each other until the very end. And when the last scene, when I say, you know, I should have ripped you out of your mother, I should have killed you the moment I ripped you out of your mother and she leaves. The yeah. very last scene of that, when it was done, when they had gotten everything, the director had gotten everything they want, the narrative people got everything they want. I just screamed and wailed. I was already on the floor and I just laid out and I, I had to get the rest of it out. I had to get the rest of it out. And uh, what was very interesting was, <laughs> I always bring that stuff to the table, but I also have to release it. And after releasing it, I got up and was like, Woo! it felt like Nicolas Cage. Like, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, baby. Woo! What is, yeah. <laughs> what's so, everyone's so, reaction when you're doing that? They laugh, you know, yeah, it, was, yeah. it made people feel at ease again, because yeah. I think what they did is their discomfort came from the pain and then them uh, uh, empathically sharing that pain yeah. that I, that I went through that. Uh, but knowing what I had to do and watching someone choose to suffer um, and find that space to use it for this, as opposed to just suffering, because if it, if it does that, then you know what you're doing is you're doing the 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 words a disservice. You're doing the the character a disservice. You're doing the narration, the narrative, and the story a disservice. If you just stay there, it's not about wallowing. It's about taking all that stuff and then using it and compartmentalizing it where you need it in the script, where you need it in this moment, where you need it in the physicalities, all of those things. Um, and it just so happens that Christopher Judge was not there that day, but he was on set in terms of a Zoom call. And his in his mind, it was a what the fuck? He knew how powerful it was. He watched the entire time. He stayed on Zoom to watch what I did. He Is that stayed on Zoom for to you? Watch what I did. You... Extremely flattering. Yeah. And I've worked with Christopher Judge on a movie. Oh. He and I did a movie together. The very first time we met, we did a movie together. Um, Years and years ago. Yeah. Um, but to have him watch that, and at the end, they brought the 
the Zoom call over on a laptop and we got a chance to speak. And he's like, wow, bitch, you're wow. <laughs> wow, wow. That is a lesson to learn um, and uh, to hold that space. But it's it's always a challenge to hold that space. But always, for me, I always feel vital and necessary for what I'm doing because it doesn't destroy me. It only empowers me to know where to put these emotional moments. Like if I'm, I'm having a feeling about this thing in my past, I know to put it here. If I'm having a feeling about this thing in my past, it's there, it's just not all anger. Uh, in all of those moments, there's a section of regret. There's a section of fear. There's a section of loss. There's a section of rage. So there are all of these moments and where to put them to tell the story because it's not a story of just this screaming giant woman. And I didn't want it to be that. I want, you know, I want to be able to tell the story and and have all of those snippets of those various emotions in the umbrella of rage and anger. Just quickly, um, you said you didn't talk until the end. What was that conversation like at the end? When you, when... It wasn't much of a conversation. It was more of a hug. Yeah. And it was a thank you for your work. Thank you for allowing me to... Um, invade your space this way and thank you for accepting that and thank you for um, playing along thank you for taking that journey with me um, not as just what you're doing here with your mocap suit on and your HMC thank you for taking that with with that journey with me as Angry Boda because you didn't expect it and you didn't know what what I was going to bring to the table it wasn't me just doing my own thing and us having this moment when we're in the volume it was me invading your space the way you invaded my space in the volume and thank you for not uh, feeling so intimidated that it didn't feed you. Because if it was just for me, I would not have done it. But I also wanted to um, have that space where she felt fed as Anger Boda in those moments and she could bring all of Anger Boda to the table with me in it. Two more, Destiny 2. <clears throat> because so many of my fans are, and subscribers love Destiny 2. They love your work in that. What do you recall from that experience? Because Destiny was all voiceover, I got, I got the opportunity to have even a greater range uh, of, of who this being was. And I had no idea how prolific she was in the lore of Destiny. I had no idea. I had never wow. heard of Destiny. I think I did, I did Year of Destiny only because when I was working at Rouge Mocap in Marina Del Rey doing projects, whenever I went to the bathroom, there was a big poster for Destiny. That's the only way I knew the game. <laughs> wow. That's the only way I knew there was a game called Destiny, but I had no idea what it was itself. And so it wasn't until a fan told me, you're Sabathun, do you know anything about the lore of Sabathun? Do you know this game? And I was like, no. And then... What ended up happening is the only social media I'm on is Cameo. And, you know, people come and get requests for birthdays and celebrations and they get, yeah, you yeah. know, they're I was working on a project at the time and on a lunch break, it was like, and people were already requesting for me to send the messages as Sabathun um, oh. until it got into the thousands. Shit. I'd never had that happen. That's crazy. I'd never had that happen. Wow. Yeah. What did you yeah. have to do? You have to turn it to, off. You can't physically do No, it. I can't. I have to go to I have to I had to go to I had to go to a representative of Cameo to go stop this because it had been building up. And I'll tell you why it had built up so much. And a lot of them were 24 hour requests. So at one point oh. I stayed up for 72 hours to get them done because I was committed to getting it done. I stayed up for 72 hours. 72 hours, I shit you not, to get them done and then put a stop. Um, you know, until I can collect myself. Um, Man. The, the, the thing about it more than anything else was being able to continue to build this being with people in that exchange, because that's what I'm doing when I'm in a booth. I'm having that, that, that relationship with these guardians or with a guardian that mm. represents all the guardians. But now I can have that relationship with these guardians. Um, and, and that only helped to evolve Sabathun and, and really allow me to feel so fully comfortable and confident in, in being Sabathun. Like I said, I don't, I, don't, I don't ever become the character. The character becomes me, it lives in me. 
And so to be able to tell the story of Sabathun outside of Destiny with these requests was really powerful. And so Sabathun is so very much a part of me now that I can drop everything to be her. I can, it's instantaneous, yeah. it's instantaneous. She's an instantaneous being within me. I didn't become her, but she is so deeply entrenched within me now. And she's such a part of me that I can, in an instant, allow Sabathun to have her, have her say. Because now she knows my experiences and she knows, you know, how to be cunning with my experiences. She knows things about me. You, you mentioned just quickly about Cameo being your only social media. I'm curious, is there a reason that you're not on socials? Is it just that? Is there... I don't, I don't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't enhance the quality of my life. And if it doesn't enhance the quality of my life and the quality of my communication and the, and the joy of all of that, then I don't need it. I, w I used to be on, the only thing I've ever done ever was Facebook. Okay. Um, and after a while, I realized that, um, and you can set up your page to be whatever you want. And my page was all about love and compassion, kindness and spirituality. And uh, someone had something very embittered to say, an older gentleman, about my tattoos. Um, and he was uh, mean-spirited. Mm. And people began to attack him. And I said, you're not doing my, me a favor. You're actually bringing out uh, something that needs to be healed within you. Because, you know, and at one point someone said that he should die of cancer or someone he loved should die, something really awful. And I was like, okay, this, this has to end. And I don't mean it has to end in terms of um, stopping my Facebook at that time. It was a matter of, I have to put the kibosh on this because you're forgetting what this page is about. Because now you're coming to my defense when I don't need it. And you're coming to my defense in a way that is about your ego and your anger and your visceral, your visceral disgust of this man when he is entitled to have his feelings. Um, heard and he doesn't know me. And so I ended up having a private discussion with this man and it was a whole different story because I, I got a chance to know him and I, and whatever he said about my tattoos originally, it's like, okay, you're entitled to your feelings. You're entitled to your, your opinion. Um, and I think at that point there was a, uh, an anger because I didn't fight back in order to give him the fodder to unleash again. And that's why everyone else unleashed. And so I just wouldn't go there. And then I, you know, I came to his defense. And that's when he went, oh, let me look at the larger picture here. I, I dropped everything to come to his defense. I didn't to help defend, you know, the people who were going, who were, who were becoming vicious. And I just said, you only created the cycle and now you're making it into a cyclone and you're destroying everything in your path, including the things that are around you, that you like about me. Everything that I've built on this, you're destroying it like a cyclone. And I didn't come to their defense. I came to this man's defense. And then people were then going, I am so sorry. I apologize. I didn't mean it. Um, I'm so sorry. And they were apologizing to him. And I said, this is, these, these are, now you're my family again. You were always my family, but you stopped being my family. You're the one who said, I choose not to be a family member with you, Deborah, because I always considered people who came onto my page, my brothers and my sisters, my brother loves and my sister goddesses. And then uh, they stopped doing that. And people apologized and were very kind to him at that point. You know, and I've had people who were like, your spirituality is bullshit and, and stuff. And then we, I was said, message me privately and let's talk. And then I would find out things about them and find out that their disdain for spirituality or, or was not really spirituality, but religion. And they would tell me their stories and I would thank them for being honest and open and, um, and thank you for trusting me that I can create a safe space for you to talk privately and just between you and I. And I realized that they weren't atheists and they realized that they weren't atheists. They just hated the idea of what other people said their religion should be and that they were not a part of it, that they were ostracized, that they were hated and judged for it. So they really ended up just hating the idea that religious people did that to them as opposed to the religion themselves. And so when we broke it down, it was like, you're not really an atheist then. And let me explain why, because here's what you shared with me. So I'm only going to take what you told me and share that with you only for you to be able to go, all right, let me think about that. Let wow. me think about those choices. Let me think about those choices. I said, because I love you either way. It doesn't matter what you think. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to love you. My mantra is no judgment, only love. No judgment, only love, because we're all judged. So when I say no judgment, it doesn't mean that you are completely without judgment. It means that when you have judged, think about it so that you can go no judgment here, only love. 
I've already judged because you have to use that for your fodder. In other words, that's your crucifixion. So without it, there is no resurrection. So we will always knee jerk in the human condition to judge, but let's not judge and find that love space. Why? Because we're all human beings. And if the one thing you have in common with that man is that you have an opinion too, even if it's that. Wow. And I realized, well, I don't wanna maintain this page and um, I don't really need it. And I really don't wanna put up stuff about, I didn't wanna, I never wanted to put up stuff about the business, about what I did. I never put up stuff about Why you know, this job I got was or the thing. I, I didn't need to. Why, you know, you wanna find me, find me on IMDb. Watch TV, go to the movies, whatever, you know, I'm not going to sit there and tell you about the latest projects. I, I, I don't, I don't like to advertise myself. Mm. I don't need to do that. I do what I do and I love what I do and I make money at what I do. You don't, I don't need to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guess what? I did this and I made money. It, it, it's you awkward think the work for speaks for itself. You don't need to do anything extra. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether the work speaks for itself or not, because there are plenty of people that don't play video games. I don't care. I know that I've done what I'm supposed to do and I know that it feels good and I know that I feel invigorated by the the honesty and the integrity and um, of what I do and what I love to do. I, it's cathartic for me each time. It's this creative art space and this heart space. It's it's like breath. It's like breathing. It it it's um it is. It's it's breathing. It is a huge part of my lungs and my mind and my heart and my soul and and everything that I am. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. If it didn't serve a greater purpose, then I wouldn't do it. Because I don't think this purpose is about video games. I think it's about transmuting the idea of something in that lower vibration to raise it up so that people can see a connection to themselves and others. And something that they need for their healing and their growth. A place that they want to be in their lives as human beings. Because when that game is gone, you're left with an emotion that is yours and you can do anything with a feeling that is yours that you can do anything with, a joy that is yours and you can do anything with, a compassion, a truth, an understanding, an empowerment, whatever you take from it, it's yours and you can do anything with it beyond that game. So it has to go beyond the, the gameplay. We have to tell the narrative of the human story of all of us. That's what makes us one. Love it. And last one, Deborah. Uh, this is a little favorite of mine that just shows how versatile you are. Ratchet and Clank Kit. Man, that was such a great character. What do you remember from that? Because that is just super fun. It's so different vocally from what I've done in video games. Mm. Because when, in video games, you go, okay, she's a black woman and they made her look like her. Um, also in the upcoming, not until next year, uh, Amanda Waller in Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. And I've done two other Amanda Wallers in in, uh, in another video game for Telltale Batman and, and for uh, another project that is slated for Netflix. And so I've done Amanda Waller in three different um, incarnations of Amanda Waller. Uh, and so with everything that I've done, it's either Grace Walker, that's very similar. It's Sear Junda, Shaped Head. You know, you see these, you see the similarities either physically or you see the similarities in my vocal patterns and and, and um, the voice print yeah. of what I do. But uh, even uh, uh, General Lyons in- In Modern um, Warfare, yeah. You can tell- Yeah, Modern Warfare. If someone knows you, you know? they might, they'll know it's you, yeah. Even in, even, even in Sabathon, you know, the voice print is there. Yep. It's different from everybody else, but it's still very similar. You go like, that's Deborah Wilson, or, oh, that sounds like Deborah Wilson. But this you know, one, they're like, Deborah Wilson? That was Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> and so what's great about that is number one, that, that I get the kick out of that. Number two, uh, coming from those real spaces again. And it doesn't matter whether a lot of the characters that I played in video games are human or not. There is, as, as long as a sentient being is speaking, there are emotions. I won't say human because it's, I think for me, uh, I, I look at the larger picture and believe that there are other dimensions uh, where uh, there are beings that are like us uh, that have feelings and emotions as well. And so I never say human emotions. They're just emotions. And I think that finding that truth and that reality in the emotions that I draw from myself, which makes it easier for me because I go, I've had these emotions. How do I draw from this? for this being. Um, 
Yeah. And at one point I did. And again, I always end up, always end up crying. On <laughs> I always end up tearing up. I always end up tearing up. Yeah, but that's because, because you give it a your all and you've got to release something, don't you? Yeah. But I, but I find that connection. Yeah. And I go back into an experience and it's a heartbreaking experience. And, but it, it works. It works. It works every time. And that's why I cannot see myself, my crack in, in voiceover work, my crack in the entertainment industry, my crack in acting, my, the, the thing that is my pipe that I won't let go of is honesty. Mm-hmm. Is honesty. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. It's my crack. And so I always bring that to the table so that someone goes, you know what? I can feel the sincerity because I'm not thinking of you doing it and it's making me cry because I'm empathic with you. I know what it's like to feel that way. And see, at the end of the day, for me, the greatest part of the high in that is people get a chance to see themselves in it instead of just hear my voice. I don't want to make you cry. It's not my intention to make you cry. I'm doing my thing. How you feel about it is your choice your experience. And I want your experiences to come up because we're mirror images. So my experiences won't come up because you don't know my experiences. They're none of your business, Mm -hmm. but your experiences will come up when you felt that way and knee jerk into that feeling, that feeling of loss or loneliness or being different. Um, and feeling like what you do is destructive. And that's, that's part of, of Kit's makeup at one point, you know, I was, she was built, for destruction, not to love, not to share. She wasn't built for compassion. And then she finds these compassionate moments in which she can become the hero of her own journey. And she's given permission by those who say, I'm not leaving you, I got you, and then you're by my side and you stay with me and I've got this. And it's beautiful, it's beautiful. Especially when she turns on Ratchet and, um, is about to destroy him where she's blinded. And then he's got a reminder of her true nature. She thought her true nature was destruction because that's how she was created. And he reminds her before he gets blasted into oblivion what her true nature is and that she he is a friend. And that um, it, it takes her time to learn that and accept that. And she does because someone says, I'm not giving up on you. And I, I mean, who wouldn't in your life want someone who says, listen, I know this is a difficult lesson to learn. I know you don't know these numbers well, but I know you're smart and I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to be patient with you. Doesn't matter if you get it wrong a billion times. It doesn't matter. We're going to make different choices. I'm going to support you to make different choices so that you feel you got it as opposed to me in making you get it. You know, I can't make you get it. But when you get it, you know that you earned that opportunity and you know that you earned that space to be empowered. Like I did this. And I want every individual to feel that way. You know, I don't want you to feel my emotions. I want you to feel your own and be okay with that and know your own story and bring up your own sorrows and, and heal again and again and again and cry again and again and again and laugh again and again and again and feel again and again and again. I just want to feed you and let you say, this makes me feel this when I taste it. Oh, when I eat this, it feels good. So my journey is to take that crack and be as honest as I can and let you have your experience with my honesty. I can't wait to see where your journey takes you next. Uh, I know you've got Amanda Waller and Suicide. Hopefully we can do this again next year when yeah. that game drops because I'm really looking forward to I Woo! love your rendition as, as Amanda. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love playing her. I love playing her. Yeah. I, I can tell you do. Uh, is there anything you wanted to say to the to the fans that have tuned in today, the Star Wars fans or the fans of yourself yes. or anything? Thank you. And may the force be with you always and in all ways. Beautiful. Thank you, Deborah. I really appreciate this chat today. It's been an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Um, before pleasure. I, before I let you go, is is it is it possible for Sia to say something to Dan to to round this up? Is that is that a possibility? Dan, I know you have great expectations in what you do. Drop your expectations and live in the moment. 
You are great at what you do because you love what you do. You are great at what you do because you're passionate about what you do. What you do is who you are and what you give. Continue to live that and be that and know that your space that you hold in that is vital and necessary to the universe. You are the connection to those who want to know more. You are the connection to people being able to peek behind the doors of what they love in video games. You are their connection. And not only are you their connection, Dan, you're their beacon. Continue to shine brightly. Guide them to that space. Hold them in that space. And may the force be with you too, always, and in all ways. Shivers, thank you. You couldn't wipe the smile off my face. Oh, thank you, Deborah. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, and I look forward to chatting again very, very soon. Yes. May the force be with you always.